Welcome to episode one of the Technology and Jobs podcast from the Asian Development Bank. I'm Eric Churchill. In this series, we're looking at the transformative changes underway in Asia's workplaces and how this will challenge workers and policymakers alike. This program is coming to you from Manila, the bustling, hyperactive capital of the Philippines. Metro Manila is home to over 15 million people and is one of the most densely populated cities in the world. I've come to the Ortigas neighborhood, an area that is filled with skyscrapers, hotels, and shopping malls. In fact, right now I'm standing in Mega Mall, one of the biggest shopping centers in the world, a mecca to consumerism and bling. This endlessly busy place embodies the transformation, not just of the Philippines, but all of Asia. Economies across the region continue to expand at breakneck speed. This has brought amazing new opportunities for Asia's two billion strong workforce. But while there's palpable energy that has accompanied this growth, there's also uncertainty, particularly among many young people, about the future of work and whether the opportunities their parents have enjoyed will be passed down to future generations. My name is Camille. I'm 25 years old. I'm a Bachelor of Science in Electronics Engineering. I'm a Network Operations Engineer also. I think um, 10 years from now, most of the things will be automated. Yeah, technology is evolving and uh, we can't really avoid that. She's not alone. At a time and in a place where technology is changing the workplace in a multitude of ways. In this series of podcasts, I'll be joined by experts who will bring their unique insights on how technology will affect the future of work. With me throughout the series will be economists Samir Katiwada and Elisabetta Gentile from ADB's Economic Research Department. We'll be exploring the role of robots, automation, globalization, and education, all from an Asian perspective. Elisabetta, are we in the midst of a technological revolution? Absolutely, yes. And what makes this a revolution is not the technologies themselves, because these are technologies that have been around for a really long time. If you think of industrial robots, or wireless connectivity, or digital platforms, well, they, we have had them for some time. But what makes this moment special is that we are getting these technologies to interact with each other in a way that we haven't before. And we are creating systems in which uh, the robotic arms communicate with each other. They, they generate data that is fed to the human component in the system. And the human component uses this data to make decisions that will boost productivity even more. And uh, so this is really an unprecedented moment uh, in history. But what does that mean for workers? Potentially both good news and bad news. Uh, good news because these momentous uh, technological advances always create new jobs. And this is something that we have seen over and over in history. But it's also bad news because these jobs are different from the jobs that have been displaced. And they require workers to learn some new tricks to be able to participate in, uh, in the new ec economy. So Samir, it sounds like Elizabeth is pretty optimistic, but with a few caveats. What do you say? I, I raised the question, is this time different, right? Where you asked, uh, are, we in the, are we in the middle of a technological revolution? And I have to say, um, yes and no. Uh, I'm leaning more towards no, because uh, and I'll give you a few reasons why I say that. So first, I'll, I, I, I'm going to raise the question, is this time different, right? That's, that's one way of understanding whether we are in the middle of a revolution or not, right? 
I'm not so sure if this time is any different than before. Let me give you a couple of uh, examples. Electricity, second industrial revolution, right? When electricity came, it, ch it, trans it transformed the way we organize ourselves, the way we produce goods and services. It transformed everything. It raised productivity. It raised earnings. When computers came about, third industrial revolution, yes, it also changed everything, right? And there was the anxiety over these new types of technologies, but they didn't lead to any kind of massive dislocation. They led to dislocations, but they were of temporary nature. In the long run, we created more jobs, we created more prosperity, and the, and the world improved. In the context of Asia, I would like to point out that Asia has gotten significantly richer since the 60s and the 50s, after the Second World War, right? You look at across the region, the region has done really well. There are two reasons why the region has done really well. One is we have been able to raise productivity within different industries. So agriculture productivity also went up. Productivity in manufacturing also went up because of technology, because of electricity, because of uh, new machines, industrial robots. But also, we managed to move people out of agriculture into industry and services, right? The, the, this region did really well because of technology. So looking ahead, it is, this is going to continue. So, but I don't really think that what we are seeing looking ahead is any different. I just want to push back on something you said. I mean, you, you talked about the second and third industrial revolutions not causing massive displacement. And I can see that from an economic point of view. There definitely hasn't been some great age of technological unemployment. But cities like Birmingham, England, or Detroit, Michigan, might argue that actually some of this dislocation has been pretty severe and long-lasting. Well, it's true. There, there are winners and losers from uh, this kind of uh, big changes, and this is something that cannot be uh, overlooked. The issue here is do we sacrifice the well-being of the collect of society collectively for the well-being of, of smaller groups when total output when total income increases in society so it is true that we have to find ways to address those who are left behind those who are somehow excluded from 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 these new opportunities but this does not make an, a, a successful argument in my view for halting this process and i would have to agree with that look i mean in this in this study that we do find that people at the low skill spectrum with um, doing relatively high shares of routine tasks in their jobs are people that are being affected more so. But then there are jobs that are being created in sort of your non-routine, cognitive types of jobs. And this is actually good news for workers across the region. But you brought up Birmingham, uh, England, and then Detroit. Those regions, you know, there used to be manufacturing hubs. They are no longer that, right? But there were jobs that were created in those countries and services and high-value services maybe those workers should have been somehow uh, helped in transitioning to those new types of jobs. Maybe that's where the failure of government policy was. But in our region, we're still looking at growing manufacturing sector, uh, growing industries. So I see that we will still be creating jobs uh, in, the, in these industries. One thing that's not clear is, what, what is the scale of this? I mean, what are we talking about in terms of the kinds of technologies that are, that, that are changing the workplace? And what are we talking about in terms of what this means for 60% of the world's workers. It is important, first of all, to remember that when we talk about Asia, we are talking about perhaps one of the most diverse uh, region in the world in terms of uh, stage of economic development. 
So on the one hand, you have countries like Japan, which has been for decades one of the most industrialized countries in the world. But then you have also some of the poorest countries in the world where uh, advancing technology, increasing productivity still means connecting villages to the electrical grid. So obviously there is quite a big, a large scope in both situations. There, are, there is a large scope for productivity increases and for a boost in employment, but in a very different way. Just to add to that, you know, um, in, in Nepal, it recently made news that now electricity is available to all the, all the, all the people who live in Nepal, and that was sort of the headline. And as I was working on this uh, study, I was, uh, you know, I'm from Nepal, so I was reminded that, okay, second industrial revolution has finally arrived in Nepal, and here we are talking about the fourth one, right? So that kind of shows the diversity of the region. So a country like uh, that is not quite there yet, right? But, but you know, when you talk about the scale, uh, you can pick a few sectors in different countries. Like you could pick garment in Bangladesh. You could pick BPOs in the Philippines. You sort of get an understanding of what we mean by how new technology could be changing the the, you know, the labor landscape uh, in the region. Take the BPOs, for example. BPOs... Well, okay, so what, what is this? It's, it's a business process outsourcing, which is basically when you, when you call Dell customer service or American Express customer service, it arrives uh, in, in the Philippines. And the Philippines has done really well in this type of business services. Here the fear is because of AI that a lot of these uh, call center jobs could be automated. And the, the technology has improved significantly. But, you know, it's about a million workers in this sector directly employed. But this has a huge economic consequences for the country. If something were to happen to this sector, Philippines will, will, would feel it. What do you mean when you, when you say that AI, artificial intelligence, is, is changing these jobs? Right. So basically, when you make a phone call, your, your, your American Express card, you make a phone call, it arrives in the Philippines. So the, the technology has improved so much that it can answer your questions without you ever talking to a person, right? Uh, so it uses a combination of new technologies to sort of provide a good service, uh, customer service experience. So how long has this industry been around? It's a little over a de decade. So it's a decade old, and yet we're already talking about these jobs being replaced? I mean, that sounds like breakneck so, uh, advances that are going to kill jobs. Yeah, if I may add uh, something to this conversation, I think business process outsourcing is a great example of what I like to remind people when I, when I discuss this, this topic, the fact that as consumers, we are learning to differentiate the products that we are offered, and we are learning to attach a price premium to something that matters to us. I'm sure all of you have experienced service delivery automation when you are talking to a computer who is not understanding your maybe your accent. I am sure that if there is a credit card company out there who will promote, you will always talk to people when you call us. People will actually be willing to pay a little bit more of an annual fee, credit card fee, just to make that happen. This human interaction is something that people are willing to attach a price to. So, you know, I would have to disagree with that. You know why? Because actually when I, when I spoke to the BPO executives in the Philippines, it's something amazing that came out of that, those conversations is that one of them pointed out actually there is a generational difference, what people prefer when it comes to customer service. So they pointed out that people who are younger generations, I guess we're now going into the not so young generation anymore, but the preference is not to talk to anybody. You, you know, you could automate away everything. People like texting. So you don't want, they don't want to talk apparently. The older generation wants to talk 
to a customer service representative. And this is happening sort of, the, this impacts the BPO sector. Okay, so but, but at, the, at the heart of all of this, right, I, I think what we're talking about is productivity. Advances that are making things faster, easier, more efficient. But I don't think that non-economists have a good, IA, a good understanding of what we talk about when we're talking about productivity improvements. A lot of times I hear when people talk about improved productivity is that my job might be at risk. Walk me through this, Samir. In sort of the, your simplest terms, the productivity basically is your output over inputs, right? So output could be income, whatever it could be, number of shoes you produced, and then the input could be number of workers that went into producing those number of shoes, right? So you, you figure out some combination of that. So new machines allow us to produce more goods and services with the same number of workers, right? That's what it means to raise productivity with new machines. So when you talk about productivity, as you introduce machines into a factory floor, you are going to let go of people. Every single innovation that the mankind has come up with is to make us more productive, to save us time, to do something else. That's the whole point of it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So we shouldn't be surprised that all of a sudden we have produced machines that are getting more and more complicated and they can do complex tasks. Well, that's called progress. That's called human progress. But it sounds like that the most productive industries are the industries where, as a worker, I might need to have the most concern about well, that's true. Again, we tend to focus only on one aspect of productivity, which is precisely what Samir was talking about. Uh, if with better technology, the same amount of worker can expand output. We tend to neglect the second part of this. And the second part of this is that with more output, we sell more. And by selling more, we make more money. And the people who make more money can then demand more goods and more services. So this expansion of, of, product, of production in turn is what stimulates more demand and it creates more jobs. And this is precisely the dynamic that we are observing in Asia. Asia is not like North America or Europe at a point where you've got saturated consumer markets. I mean, how many iPhones do you need? How many cars do you need? So obviously, we have to be careful not to apply to Asia the same logic that we apply to saturated consumer markets. But at the same time, you do admit that there are some workers who will be at risk here in Asia. I mean, who are we talking about? You, you mentioned earlier, Samir, these routine workers. I mean, walk, walk me through that. So look, actually, the, the proper way of framing that would be workers who do repetitive tasks. So a, a machinist. Uh, or somebody who works in an electronics factory shouldering a circuit board, a relatively repetitive task, right? Repetitive tasks can be programmed into computers. People who are doing those tasks are in danger of losing their jobs. But of course, even if you have a high share of repetitive tasks in your day-to-day -day job, doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to automate those away. Why? Well, because maybe technology might not be there first. Second, it's too expensive. Think of an example of hairdresser, right? You could spend so much money that you could come up with a machine that gives you a perfect haircut. But is it, does it make sense? Well, I don't think it does, right? You, you might as well go to a hairdresser and you get a nice haircut and you get the way you want it. 
But so we don't. So the, it's important to keep this sort of uh, this framework in mind when we are talking about how technology is going to change the labor market. I'm glad that you're mentioning the hairdresser because again, I, I really want to insist on this uh, on this point that I was making before that the machine that does your haircut is not the same thing, especially for us ladies. Then going to the salon and the whole social uh, being pampered, maybe getting your fix of trashy magazines in the process. I am sorry, but there is no technology that can replicate that experience. And this is why I'm feeling positive that the discerning consumer who wants something that attaches a certain value to this kind of experience will still demanding be demanding that. And not to belabor this, but I mean, the difference between somebody who's giving haircuts to the military and a, and a woman stylist, we have different levels of productivity, right? I mean, this is these we have a machine that can give you a buzz cut if you want, but somebody who wants to add value needs to add a lot more services to that. Because I think one of the things that you alluded to earlier was this, this part of the revolution in Asia is getting workers from agriculture into industry or into services. That, that's an important part of our story, right? Absolutely. If we want workers to be able to change their role over their career, so uh, now that I'm a machinist, suddenly uh, my, there, is a, there, there is a robot that can do what I do, so I need to shift. Well, we need to equip our workers from very early age with the skills that they will require to kind of transform themselves. And this is perhaps the caveat, the fact that technology can provide amazing opportunities, but we have to equip our people, our workers, with the ability, with the skills to seize these opportunities. And this is where the, I think, where the challenge lies. Elizabeth, did that... That's an important point, but I think one thing that I'd like to get your, your, your final thoughts on are how do we as an institution, as a government, as a leader in an Asian country, how do we respond to this? There are two aspects to this. The first aspect is really the infrastructure aspect. We need to build schools, safe schools, with the correct equipment, with the correct IT. On this, ADB has been doing a lot. But there is a second aspect on which there is a lot of room for improvement. Creating a different system. A system where the private sector and the policymakers, so the employers and those who create training and education systems, can have an open communication line. So just as the technology is talking to each other, it's these institutions that need to talk to each other. Absolutely. Right now we have uh, education and training system that systems that find it very difficult to change, to evolve, to adapt. Samir, I'll give you the last word. Well, uh, you know, just to uh, add to that, the government's role is quite important in all of this. In our study, we, we, we point out that the government's response has to focus on reskilling workers, providing training, providing social protection, because there will be displacement. We talk about also regulation being favorable so that businesses can adopt new technology. So that's your response. And then the use of technology. Government actually uses technology to deliver public services. Take the example of health. This is a great scope for using new technology. Also education as well. Right, so use is also very important. And finally, support for technology. That gets, gets back to ADB's help as well, where you are sort of increasing the broadband access, you're putting in infrastructure. Uh, so these are so these three things, the response, use, and support. It's key for government to sort of focus their policies on these three aspects going forward. Thank you very much, Elizabeth and Samir. I think that you have convinced me that this technological change is not something that I need to 
completely freak out about. But it sounds like we need to be prepared. And I think that over the next couple of episodes, we can discuss how we need to think about this a little bit further in terms of the skills that we need, in terms of how government can respond, and, and digging a little bit deeper into what is actually happening in this increasingly globalized world. Thank you. Additional special thanks today to my co-producer, Andrew Perrin, to our senior researcher, Pima Arizala. Our studio technician is Brian Manuel. Richard Myron is our executive producer. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, like, or comment on your favorite podcast app. More information on the issues discussed today are available online at adb.org. And please join our conversation at hashtag futureofwork. <laughs>